0: listening to Jonathan Beckett's podcast. Each week I talk to bloggers and writers all over the world about their journey, how they got started, where they write, how they write, and where you can find them. The podcast lives at anchor.fm slash Beckett, and you can also find it at Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Facebook. Just search for Jonathan Beckett's podcast. We have a rather special guest on the podcast this week, She is one of the luminaries that helped forge the idea of posting an online diary or journal into the collective consciousness. If you were reading or writing blog posts in the mid-2000s, you might have followed any of a number of online journals, among them Deuce, written by Heather Armstrong, Belle du Jour, written by Brooke Magnanti, or Petit Anglaise, written by a British girl living in Paris called Catherine Sanderson. Of course, back then we didn't know the author's names, Shielded in wonderful anonymity, we only knew the name of their blogs. Today, we're going to find out the story of how Petit Tonglais came to be, what happens when a blog becomes famous, how you go about turning a blog into a book, and perhaps why we know Catherine's name. Hello, Catherine. Hello. So, you live in Paris, but you're not originally from France, are you?
1: I'm not, no. I'm from Yorkshire. Um, and I moved over to France about half my life ago, so after university.
0: So was that a job that you went for, or just for fun? I
1: studied French and German at university, and so I had to spend a year abroad as my third year of uni, and, I, and so I came to Normandy for that, and taught in a school. And then when I finished my degree, um, and I didn't really have a clue what to do next, apart from I wanted to live in France, I sort of managed to swing a job doing the teaching assistant thing again, but at a university in Paris.
0: So is that teaching English?
1: I mean, it's being an English conversation, you know, an English assistant, you know, doing the conversation classes and the language labs and things like that. So you don't have to be a qualified teacher.
0: Oh, that was, r- that takes me back because when I was at school, we had a, a French lady that would come and help with the French lessons. Yeah, um, her name was Madame Baker. We had to always address her as if you know we were in France, and she was this quite eccentric lady that had come straight out of nineteen fifties France fashion houses, with like a, a clock the size of Big Ben on her wrist and a huge hairdo. And-
1: because usually they send young people to do that that that, that work, you see. So it's kind of usually um, like an exchange program. Um, and so that's what I was I mean um, I went to Bath Uni and it was twinned with one of the universities in Paris and they sent me to do that for a year and then that became two years and then after that I just really didn't want to leave so
0: so Paris became your home
1: yeah I, I actually briefly went back to London did a secretarial diploma and a bilingual secretarial diploma and then I came back to Paris to to stay after that
0: so how long did it take to adjust to living in France when you first lived there?
1: Not long. I mean, it was what I always wanted. And I can't really say, I'm not really sure why. But right from the moment when I started learning French at school, I became really obsessed with France. And I was, you know, watching French films at the art house, cinema, reading yeah. French books once I got to the stage where I could do that. And yeah, I, I got myself a really grotty little studio apartment in Paris when I was doing the teaching job because I wasn't earning much. Um, and and just kind of threw myself into it. But I mean, at the beginning, I mostly had English friends. I was working with a great big gang of English people at the university who were all doing the same job as I was. And the hard thing was sort of finding an in so that I would meet French people and actually sort of create my own permanent network here, and that happened a bit more when I started to work in offices, and uh, and, and mainly happened as well by you know getting together with French blokes <laughs> along the way.
0: <laughs> so if you were, if somebody was to say that wasn't from England or France, how would you describe the major differences between the two places?
1: Oh God, I don't even know anymore. I mean, I've I've been here for half my life. So I guess
0: yeah, you're used to it now. So you don't think of anything as different.
1: No, I mean, when I go back to England, it feels more, it feels closer to America than it does to France. Like, I don't know, just really commercial and everyone overeats and the supermarket is just junk food um it seemed uh, i don't know certain things shock me about england now when i go back Actually, because
0: yeah, i've only ever been to france for kind of day trips or weekends away and things like that mm. and it's always struck me that when you look around the supermarkets there's an awful lot of fresh produce and not so much processed things yeah that
1: tends to be the case i think um and I, yeah, I, I don't know, because I, I think I live a, a weird kind of hybrid life where, you know, I'm in France physically and um, speaking French at work every day, but I speak English to my children. And um, I watch English TV um, and American TV and I read English novels still. And so I'm kind of, kind of half immersed in French culture and half not.
0: And it's interesting because you've still got a tiny piece of your Yorkshire accent still in there.
1: <laughs> it's still there. It's still there, yeah. And, you know, I read The Guardian and I quite often don't read a French newspaper. And so, yeah, I vote here and not in England because I lost the right to vote in England 15 years ago. Um No, after being here for fifteen years, sorry. And um and so I'm I'm like reading up on English politics but can't vote there and a bit clueless sometimes about what's going on here and yeah I'm voting here. So there's all these kind of weird contradictions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what's life like in Paris at the moment with the lockdown and everything?
1: It's very quiet. It's, yeah, all the parks are closed. All the restaurants and the bars are closed. It's basically just supermarkets and pharmacies that are open. So there's no traffic in the streets. It's really, really quiet. Um, and I've been, I've been locked down for five weeks now. Oh, crikey. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, it was, I think it was the, about the 16th of March that officially we got locked down the 16th or the 17th. And I actually got sick straight away, um, not very sick, but. Um,
0: but you've, you know. you've had the coronavirus. Well, I think so, but I haven't.
1: Obviously, wasn't able to get tested. Um, you know, I spoke to a GP on by video conference, and he yeah. said, you know, and sort of coughed into the microphone for him and weaved <laughs> a bit, and and he said it's probably that. <laughs> just stay at home and that's um, interesting yeah and so I mean I it was nothing very it was nothing it was nothing very impressive you know just uh, my temperature went up but not very high and I had this weird cough that I've never had before that sounded very wheezy and but at the time I was at home with my kids so um and my kids usually alternate one week with me and one week with their dads yeah um but because I got sick and they were with me I had to keep them Right. So I had them for 5 weeks in a row whilst at the beginning whilst not feeling very well. So that was a bit shit. Um, <laughs> luckily one of one of my exes, my my ex-husband lives really close by and kindly brought us shopping and even cooked meals and because I couldn't even set foot outside or send the children outside. No.
0: The rules were was been being quite strict, strict about
1: they? it, yeah. you know. Well, I was being strict, you know. Um
0: That's the thing that surprised me the most, actually, the people around the world that I've spoken to, is how differently different countries have implemented it or how seriously the people have taken it in different places.
1: I mean, we're policing ourselves. I mean, in France, we're supposed to fill out a a piece of... Paper, this special form that they um, that they produced, and 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 you fill in your your name, your date of birth, your address, the time you left the house, and you sp- and you tick a box to say for which reason you're going out. But to be honest, I've not actually been, I've never come across anyone actually checking them. I know yeah. people who have. I know people who've been fined for roller skating or like cycling outside a certain you know perimeter away from their house. Um, but I've not seen anything. Um, but I just, I don't know, I felt like I owed it to everyone else to take it seriously. Um, yeah. And so some of some things have been tough, you know, my boyfriend's five kilometers away and I've not seen him for five weeks. But, you know,
0: other than the Zoom window or whatever on the Internet. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of the phone calls. We've gone back to old old school, you yeah. know.
0: Sitting on the stairs with the phone.
1: <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So so it's frustrating but i mean it's kind of now they're talking about in france um lifting it perhaps on the 11th of may but we don't know whether that will be all the regions or you know paris is one of the worst hits so we don't know um the kids may or may not go back to school at that point um my i've been officially working from home although i haven't actually had much work to do
0: yeah it's the same i'm I'm one of the
1: lucky ones you know because they're still paying me um, yes you know anyway yeah
0: getting back to blogging and computers and stuff like that that. (laughs) let's wind the clock back a bit can you remember (laughs) the first computer you had any kind of exposure to
1: oh i can yeah i think i was nine years old and my dad bought a bbc micro 32k Oh, my word. (laughs) And I'm really upset that he didn't. It was in the loft for a really long time, and I wish that they hadn't thrown it out, because I would really like to have that now just as an object. Because I went to the the Bradford Museum of, I don't know what they call it now, the Media Museum or Museum of Technology, and they had a great exhibition of old computers. And that was in there. (laughs) And I remember um, I used to get magazines. My dad used to get these magazines, and I used to input games in BASIC.
0: Yeah, that was it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it would be like syntax syntax error at line one (laughs) hundred and ten. You'd have to go through and work out that you'd like typed one character wrong.
0: We were um, Uh, visiting uh, some family, or this is a few years ago now, and one of them had heard that was visiting from a long way away that I worked with computers. So they brought this shopping bag in from the back of the car and said, "Here, you can have this." And I looked in the shopping bag, and it was a BBC Micro in the shopping bag.
1: Oh wow! I used to play. I used to play. I remember the the games on there. I remember, I, I remember that it came with some games like Bat and Ball, which was, was it just Horace, a was a a one dot of them. the line. I don't remember Horace. I remember Snapper, which was their version of Pac Man. And uh, I was I played Elite for a really long time, oh, which yes. was the space the space game. And yeah. I was I think I was a narcotics trader, and I was only about twelve. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I got to the level of elite by the end. Oh my actually.
0: word, you were impressive I think,
1: then. I remember how complicated it was to dock in those. It was space, space stations that just kind of you had to rotate at the right speed, and oh my god, it was so hard. So you yeah. probably
0: know more about orbital mechanics than most people. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I was a bit of a, I suppose I was a bit of a nerd actually at that age. Yeah.
0: So along the way, after computers had kind of, the 80s thing happened with computers, didn't it? Yeah. And then in the 90s, the internet arrived.
1: Yeah, because I mean, in between that part where I was playing around with BBC Micros and then and then sort of when I went to university, I don't really remember touching computers much for quite a long time. And when I was at university, we started to have, you know, we started typing up essays on, on some version of Yep. I don't know if it was word yet. <laughs> um and then in my when I got my first job in Paris as a, as a secretary, I think that was when I first had access to the actual internet. Yeah. Um so we're talking about 2000 or no, 98 or 99 or 2000.
0: So that's going to be things like Yahoo Messenger and ICQ and the first version of Skype, I guess, things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't even really fully remember what I was using then. Um I remember a turning point where I started using Napster for music and stopped buying CDs.
0: Yep, everybody did until they were not allowed to anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, but and and yeah, but I can't remember exactly what I was doing on on online, what I was using. Yeah. I don't
0: think there was actually a use for it in the early days. It was just no. this thing that was out there that everybody played with.
1: Yeah, it was at, you know it was something that we had at work. And and so I suppose I can't really, as a secretary, I can't really remember what it's like not to be able to look stuff up on the internet. I yeah, suppose it's... before that people would have had to pick up their phone and ring for information. But yeah.
0: We were trying to explain to our kids the other night of, you know, you'd have to go to the library and get an encyclopedia and <laughs> yeah. look in there.
1: <laughs> like 24 volumes of encyclopedias.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if it isn't in the volume that you've got, then you've had it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, research at university was nothing. I mean, I did all my research at university with books in the library, and yeah. and yeah, you just wouldn't now, would you? No.
0: So along the way, blogs appeared on the internet.
1: They did, yeah.
0: Can you remember, or I guess if we we kind of cross over into your history all of a sudden, mm-hmm. of how you got started with a blog?
1: Yeah, well, what happened, I think, was, as far as I can work out, and, and, I'm, and I'm actually referencing a <laughs> an interview i did with you now in 2005 <laughs> where i happened to have kept a transcript because you, you you sent me some questions by email so i said um i said that i'd read about belle de jour's blog um in the guardian yes um and that was definitely a huge influence on me um because i i don't know whether she'd actually got the book deal yet when i read about her but, but I, I remember reading her oh blog
0: my word, this is all becomes very prescient all of a sudden
1: yeah so i remember reading her blog and just um i mean finding it incredibly interesting because she was a very intelligent woman writing about a super interesting subject which so was if, also very sexy as well
0: yeah, for anybody um, listening to this um
1: in a nutshell what she was was a she was she was a phd student who was um you know earning money on the side by being a hooker a yeah. very high-class escort, I think. Um, I mean, it was later made into a, a TV series, yeah, wasn't Billy it? Yeah,
0: Billy Piper played her. <laughs>
1: he did. And it was quite good, actually, I thought. Um and so, yeah, she, she wrote about it, but in a really intelligent way, kind of talking about the different kinds of clients and, and sort of looking at it from a slightly psychological point of view sometimes. And, and she just wrote really well. Um, it yeah. was very addictive. Yeah. So she was, um, she was inspirational. And I remember another one that I discovered around that time um, that was about an in, anonymous call center employee. Do you remember that one? I think I it was do. called Call Center Confidential or something. Yes. And it wasn't yeah. as well written, but it was, it was, cause I remember it being riddled with spelling mistakes and that yeah. annoyed me, but it was very funny. Yeah. And, and I sort of, I could see immediately the potential there for, cause I was a bit bored at work. I wasn't always that busy, um, during my working day. I could see the potential there sort of to, to maybe try to do something similar, um, that might be based a bit on my job uh, you know to try I'd find an angle basically um, and the Britain Paris angle seemed quite obvious and that it could just be something that could pass the time and that I might be decent at I'd been you know singled out at school for being quite good at creative writing at one point a long time before that
0: so this kind of funnels straight into the next thing I've got scribbled down here to actually ask you about is you started the blog which was we think was possibly blogger the first version of it
1: yeah it was on blogger it was in July 2004 apparently according to the thing I've written down yeah
0: so you started to pick up traffic at quite a frightening rate yeah I mean did you I was going to ask did you actually go after the traffic or did it actually, just happen
1: well it's a bit of both I think in that situation because I I have my, my feeling about that time is that is that it was a smaller world somehow it was a smaller community of people doing yeah,
0: the it The internet wasn't everybody was it back then
1: yeah and so I tended to find that that decent things rose to the top quite naturally and quite quickly. And I know a lot of people that I really respect, some of whom I met, that, you know, they, they started doing something and they commented on each other's blogs and we kind of were, it was a kind of a circular thing. You know, yeah. there were there were blogs that I enjoyed. I don't know, Little Red Boat being one of them or uh, I can't, you know, there were many at the time. Yeah. Um, and I'd leave comments, they'd leave comments and that drove some traffic. Um, at some point, Somebody um, nominated me to be one of the blogs of the week on the Guardian, so that really gave me a right. kick. I remember at the time, you know, suddenly there was a hundred people that day. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, oh, I got nominated for a bloggy award as well in um, 2005, wow. and that was a kind of a, that was a kind of. A- <laughs> That was a big deal at the time because um, I, w- I was nominated in the new blog car- category alongside Defamer, which was one of the Gawker Media blogs. It you know?
0: was, I remember that.
1: Yeah, and Defamer obviously won. But um, <laughs> but just being nominated yeah. was, I mean, yeah, the, the, that, that drove a lot of people towards my blog, a lot from America.
0: I mean, it all goes to prove really to anybody listening to this that quality counts over every marketing scheme or anything you might dream up. It's always well, going to be it, the writing.
1: Yeah, because you can cheat a bit. I mean, at the time, I, I, I seem to remember at one point that there was some kind of, I can't remember what it was called now, but there was a site where you could go on it and, and click on loads of different blogs and you'd get as many different clicks back. Oh, I can't, it was a weird site. I there can't was one what called
0: was. diarist.net.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, but anything that you do, uh, if if when people arrive, they don't like what they see and they don't come back, then it's not going to work, is it? So. no yeah the quality there's got to be some something about the content that makes people want to come back and follow it
0: yeah so i guess we're slowly swinging around to (laughs) what happened (laughs) (laughs) have have you actually ever told this story i guess you did back when it exploded but um yeah I'll, i'll just let you go to tell a bit of the story of what unfolded
1: Oh, do you mean the work side of things?
0: Yeah. Do you yeah. Mean the, well, yeah. you obviously sat at work board and you're busy writing blog posts and sometimes mentioning yeah. people you're working with.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so first of all, I was anonymous. I was petite anglaise and I never mentioned my name and I didn't say where I worked, what kind of company it was, uh, whether it was lawyers or accountants or whatever. I just said it was a firm. Um, but I did. Uh, my, and I mostly talked about my you know about life in Paris as a Brit or you know bringing up my bilingual kid or my relationship with her dad or and i uh, just a handful of times I, I mentioned things that happened at work mostly uh um mostly sort of anecdotes about myself at work like how I you know bent a bit low when I was sorting out the webcam for a video conference and sort of accidentally flashed my tits at the technician at the other end or how I fell down the stairs at work and, and was was out cold for a few moments and I snored apparently um <laughs> so it wasn't stuff about you know it wasn't like you know s- secrets from work no. or like, about the actual content of the work but um I did describe one of the partners there as uh, I called him old school boss and I said that he wore socks suspenders and called the secretaries typists and you know there were a f- there were a few so details there's nothing there.
0: really that incendiary at all
1: well, there was a, I'd been through a, a difficult spot at work with my boss, who I'd initially got on very well with, and at one point, who I thought was um, actually uh, harassing me. And so I did write about that, um, right. and a little bit. And I also, I think I inferred at one point that maybe he came on to me a bit as well. Um, so there were little bits in there, which, which it was pointed out to me later that, um, by him, uh, that, that could have been sort of quite damaging for his career or his, marriage Um, okay so the devil's always in the detail isn't it um yeah but of course i was anonymous um so but yeah but anyway so the 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 blog it kind of it it changed it it changed a couple of things in my life so i'm going to come to the work thing in a second but um before that actually it also um sort of it it documented the breakdown of, uh, of the relationship with my daughter's father as well um which was on the rocks I think but um I ended up um going out with one of my commenters who I who lived in Normandy uh, no Brittany and who uh and who I met in Paris at a concert and got together with and left my daughter's father for so that so the blog sort of made some quite big changes to my life if you like um and I met a lot of people through it there you were, know, there were blog meetups in Paris. There were blog meetups in London. There was all sorts of, yeah. So it had quite a big impact on my social life. Um, and then in April 2006, um, I got fired because of it. So yeah, I think that's the thing you wanted me to get to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I have an email exchange with you, uh, from that time, which I unearthed yesterday. And, um, I actually asked you to take down, uh, the written interview I'd done. about blogging because I'd mentioned blogging from work and I thought it was probably sensible to remove that little reference from the internet because I was taking my uh, ex-employer to the French Employment Tribunal. So yeah, I got got fired from the accountancy firm that had been my employer um, because the IT guy um got wind of the fact that I was blogging and I think felt that he was unable to keep it from the bosses just in case they did find out from someone else and right. he didn't want to get into trouble so I don't particularly um have it in for him um I've been kind of stupid you know over over time I think I'd got a bit cocky you know it was I was anonymous but a lot of my friends the sort of younger friends in the company were in on it right at, so I was playing a dangerous game at that point, and And um, I'd even let a French newspaper who were writing about expat blogs in Paris publish a photo of me. So without putting my name. But, you know, it was a matter of time. I think it, uh, it was foolish.
0: It's interesting because when I was I did a bit of looking back myself to figure out dates of mm. when we or, or when it had all happened. And I found yeah. a BBC article. <laughs> And I was quite surprised because even the BBC talking about this British expat that had been fired in Paris, Mm. they said, um, although, you know, they, I forget the exact text, but they said, although the name is not given on the blog, we understand she is Catherine Sanderson (laughs) (laughs) and she works for this company and this is her boss's name. And they had everything straight laid out in the article. Yeah. I mean, Uh, yeah. Uh, it makes you kind of second guess journalists completely, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, around that time. Um, so yeah, so I, w- after I got fired, I um, I went quiet for a little while on the blog. I put up like a test card because I didn't want to write about what I was remember happening until I, until I got my final paycheck and I'd hit the bank. Um, and then I my plan was to turn around and let them know that I was going to take them to tribunal, but obviously I wanted to get my money first. Um. And in the interim, I think it was like the longest couple of months of my life. Um, I started to sort of cast around and ask for legal advice and, um, and talk to people who I happened to know through blogging, but who also happened to be journalists. <laughs> because of course, a lot of journalists were blogging back then. Yeah. And I knew a guy called Colin Randall through, um, he was the uh, Paris correspondent at the Telegraph which is not a natural home for me because I'm not (laughs) like that newspaper. But um, he was doing like a personal blog um, about his life in Paris. And so I sort of he'd emailed me a few times. So I knew his name and I asked him for advice about a lawyer. And he immediately said, I want exclusivity. I want to write about this. Um, And I sort of said, well, I can't until I've got paid and, you know, we have to wait. But it was basically planned from that moment on that he was going to the minute I felt comfortable, he was going to put out an article and he was oh, that's
0: uh, interesting because i was going to say what well, i was going to ask if you knew how you eventually got outed to the, you know the mainstream media but well, it sounds so like you think. kind of planned it <laughs>
1: well now i planned i planned to i planned to talk about it um however and you know i didn't know it was going to i didn't know didn't imagine it could be news for anyone but the couple of people that i did speak to who were journalists were, were desperate to say something about it and he really wanted to like write this like it was going to be the scoop of his career or something I mean he's still he's still in touch with me now actually um but I let them use photos but not my name but I mean that's when I look back that's just so naive I mean as if as if yeah. you can do one and not the other
0: people who went to college with you are going to crawl out of the woodwork aren't they
1: yeah so that happened with the Daily Telegraph, and the same day, there, uh, a wire went out on the on on the French. Um, I think it's called AFP, the the the, the French wire, basically sort yeah. of, of the Associated
0: France. Press type thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, because I had another friend through blogging that I'd met through blogging who worked there, and so he put that out on the same day, and that's the, that was the reason that the story kind of went wide. Although I still don't really understand why it was of such interest to people, but you know. Um, so yeah and then afterwards um it was the daily mail who outed me i mean they were horrible they um they rang me up to let me know that they'd found my name on friends reunited that they'd kind of pieced together some details from my blog worked out what my age was where i'd gone to school and looked and looked and found an entry on friends reunited that i didn't remember i hadn't deleted um that referenced you know having a daughter who would be about the right age and they just kind of they figured it out basically and I begged I begged them to sort of not print it and they didn't listen um afterwards they started door stopping my parents and trying to interview my neighbors and um and they offered me five thousand pounds for an article and I that was I think that was the one thing I refused to do actually it was the only paid uh, thing I was offered and and I refused on principle because I was so angry with them
0: Oh my word! <laughs>
1: and at one point, at one point, they actually did ring me to tell me that they'd found my daughter's uh, first name, and I really pleaded with them not to print it, and they didn't print it. Oh,
0: My crikey! This, you just I, can't make it up, want,
1: can you? Yeah, what I didn't want was for my daughter's name to come out and for my ex-partner's name to come out. And luckily, we, you know, we didn't share a surname or anything like that. Um, we'd never been married. It was there were no public records they could look up. Yeah. It didn't go that far. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that newsworthy to know what my daughter was called. But I really wanted to keep that out of the newspaper.
0: So you, within the, the weeks that followed that, I remember you were suddenly being interviewed on television, on radio.
1: It was mental, yeah. Um, I was. What was that like? Well, I mean, completely surreal because I'm quite shy and, um, and so that was, it was a bit of a whirlwind and I didn't really know what I was doing. Obviously didn't have any media training or anything like that. I kind of said yes to pretty much everything that was offered to me because i could see that there was an opportunity unfolding i was getting um i was getting emails from agents literary agents and i was going to say that's kind of on, my next question
0: but we'll get to yeah. that
1: <laughs> so I, I knew that you know i had to kind of surf that wave because it was all linked um and so while i was doing the media i was also getting the eurostar across to to london and meeting with you know sort of five agents in a day and then coming back to paris again and it was just yeah it was completely strange so I was ended up sort of sitting on the couch with Richard and Judy and on breakfast television. And, um, I remember remember.
0: we were watching that breakfast television episode and you suddenly appeared and we both kind of dropped (laughs) our spoons into our cornflakes.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't remember much about it, to be honest, but, and I was on look North, which was like the, the thing that I'd watched all my life that comes on after the national news in Yorkshire. Um, and one of the things that really sticks in my mind is that i was taken to um, british broadcasting house um a couple of times and so i did i did a woman's hour episode which was quite fun so i seem to remember having to talk about something a bit dirty i can't remember exactly what it was um and um and i did this sort of, sort of marathon thing that they do where they put you in a room with headphones on and they basically plug you into loads and loads of different local radio stations so you sort of on with someone for 5 minutes and then they tell you who the next one's going to be, and you just talk for about three hours in a row doing oh these word. pre-recorded interviews See with all these different – and one of them left their microphone on at the end of the interview and insulted me, and I heard it over my headphones, and then I had to carry on doing this thing for the next two hours while I was like almost in tears because oh I'd heard word. someone say, God, she sounds like such a bitch. <laughs>
0: So you've removed the curtain now. We've seen how the magic happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> magic, I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> okay, how the hell is constructed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So yeah. did so you mentioned then that you were with seeing the agents that there were plans afoot to do something.
1: Yeah, so I met with uh I met de agent. At the time, you know, she's, she, and I haven't actually met her and I can't tell you anything about her, but I do represent her. Um, yeah, no, I met with, I met with a number of different literary agents. It was completely surreal. Um, and I, I, at that stage, I'd had an offer from, I can't remember which publisher to just publish entries from my blog straight away, uh, for a six figure sum. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to write a book. Um, and so I sort of went to see lots of different agents and eventually found someone that I felt comfortable with. Um, uh, and we, st- and I spent the summer working on a book proposal for them to shop around for me. So it kind of had like a, a couple of chapters and an outline and a press section. And, you know, I sort of put together this whole thing, which they helped me put together uh, a little bit. Um, and then they shopped it around and there was, a, I think there were four publishers who were interested and who um, courted me over the space of a very surreal day where I went into London to meet all of them in the same day. And they kind of, I went to Penguin and they had um, fish and chips and little cones because they'd read on my blog that I liked fish and chips a lot. Oh my
0: word. <laughs> and
1: I went to another publisher's and they had um, like cream tea, you know, sort of scones and um and jam and cream and stuff. And I went to another place, and they had loads of free books for me to give to my daughter. You know, they were all trying to buy me off. It was really weird. That's um, odd. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I signed up. Uh, signed up with Penguin because uh, fish and chips. They they, they want it basically. Um,
0: so um, how did yeah. it? How did your world change with working with uh, a publisher? Then it must it be really very well- different.
1: Well, yeah. The- <laughs> There were two things that were really different. So one of them was the fact that somebody's paying you to do to write a book, and you don't actually know whether you can write a book or not.
0: So they didn't um, kind of think that you might need any help with. Uh, okay, let's wind this back a bit. Did they mm. did they assign an editor editor to work with you?
1: Um, I had I had uh, an editor. Yes, um, a girl called Katie katie fillain who's um actually half french um but she was she wasn't she wasn't very hands-on if you like she was kind of um i remember her suggesting that i do slightly shorter chapters but apart from that it was just having somebody who checked in with me every two or three months to see how things were going and asked me to send what i'd done so far and just um but she wasn't she wasn't very sort of intrusive in terms of like changing much or yeah i rem- I remember her saying uh, that she, her wanting me to sort of flesh out one of the characters to make it into more of a best friend, a girly best friend. And I was like, oh, I'm being nudged in a chick-lit direction here. This is interesting. <laughs> because, of course, they, they do have a bit of power. Well, they have a lot of power over you because you're suddenly writing to order for money.
0: Yeah. And they've
1: given you some of it when you signed and they'll give you some of it when you deliver your, your manuscript and, again, some more when it's published. And so they have... say over the title the cover the way it's going to be packaged and they can push you a little bit in the direction that they want you to go in I suppose
0: it must be interesting because yeah Mm. when you originally wrote it it was obviously it was life as it was happening
1: yeah so I was having to go backwards in time I would just you know decide which chunk of the time of writing the blog I wanted to go over and, and what story I actually wanted to tell And I was doing it knowing that my name was now attached to it, whereas at the time when I'd written things, I was anonymous and I had perhaps a bit more freedom to, Yeah. you know, so that was a bit different.
0: But it must be odd, like you were saying, where you suddenly got these experienced people looking over your shoulders, kind of saying, well, actually, your life wasn't quite how it needs to be. yeah. (laughs)
1: and i mean there was a story that i wanted to tell which was um was how blogging had influenced my decisions and how um writing for an audience might make you make different choices in your life so that you've got more interesting things to write about how because because it had become a bit like a saga you know people tuning in every day uh, for an installment and and at one point i wondered if it was a bit unhealthy um And, you know, certain decisions that I'd made, would I have made them if if I hadn't been writing this blog? And so I was trying to tell that story, sort of pull behind the curtain a bit. And I think that they wanted a more sort of, you know, romantic story in Paris with lots of nice descriptions of Paris and... um, so I gave them a combination of those things I think in the end and it was funny because the American publisher was much more interested in the whole behind the curtain sort of analysis of how blogging had changed my life and I have a feeling that the English publisher took out some of those paragraphs.
0: Oh that's a shame.
1: Yeah. It's
0: interesting uh, isn't it because you read these kind of modern biography type things that have been written by the likes of Amy Poehler or Tina Fey. And they very much are those kind of, isn't my life a disaster kind of thing. You know, where they really have lifted the lid off and exposed all of their luggage then for everybody to pick over.
1: Yeah. And I always, I was always super interested in writing the taboo stuff that you're not really supposed to say, like you know, you've got two children, do you prefer one over the other? <laughs> <laughs> All the things you're not really supposed to go into, and I that that was always what I found most interesting, and still do. This but, is um, the big thing,
0: isn't it? Because a lot of people, yeah. well, there's two, there's two camps with blogging, isn't there? There's the anonymous camp, and then there's the, you know, um, not anonymous. Then, mm. but yeah, and you, you kind of crossed over.
1: Yeah, and I did find blogging a bit hard afterwards. So I was writing the book, and I had less to say because writing about writing is not necessarily interesting. But there there was a there was an obligation to carry on the blog because it was going. You know, the publisher definitely saw that as a marketing tool for the book, and it became a bit complicated for me to carry on doing the blog because I was not anonymous anymore. And so if I was to, I don't know, just tell an anecdote about something that went down at my daughter's school. Then, because my name is public, somebody else might be able to work out who I was talking about. Yeah. You know, whose who's kid or or whose parent, or and so suddenly it kind of yeah. it reduces your your leeway a bit. And um, and I was also in the process of getting married at that point, and I was sort of concerned that if I wrote too much about my relationship, I might torpedo it. Um,
0: yeah. And I started
1: to get quite. You know, I, I I think I gave up in the end in about two thousand and. Nine about the time that my son was born was when i decided to stop blogging because the second book had come out and all my obligations were done with the publisher um and i just wasn't comfortable anymore sort of using my personal life as material uh,
0: so here's the big question do you miss it
1: um i didn't for a really long time um i got really caught up in you know having two kids, being married, eventually going back to work. I went back to work in an office in 2011. So, I mean, the the whole, the whole book thing gave me sort of five years out off working in an office, which was nice. you know. (laughs) Um, but I've had stuff I've had to deal with and that stopped me from – it's not been at the forefront of my mind. I've had some mental health issues. I've had – you know, I've, there are things that I've I've wondered whether I'd like to be able to write about. That, And then I thought, no, it's just too personal and it, it, will it sort of have some sort of an effect on my professional life? Because uh, obviously there are things you don't want your colleagues to know about yourself. Um, you know, mental health is a taboo. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if there if there's something I can do in the future because I feel like um you know time has now passed you know a decade has now passed stuff has happened things that perhaps worth writing about again
0: But it must be nice to almost have your anonymity back
1: Yeah I've completely got that I mean uh yeah and and you know if I were to write again I don't think I'd want to write under my own name so so, that's you, a whole other... so you
0: might reappear, but we'd have to recognise you through the writing style, maybe.
1: <laughs> that's probably really easy, though, isn't it? Mm.
0: I don't know. I go, though you say that, that's how J.K. Rowling got caught, wasn't it?
1: I mean, I'm not sure that anyone would ever want to publish me again because I still get unearned income statements from Penguin to the tune of pretty much what they gave me. So um, they're in the red by like, an awful lot of money, and I'm sitting in the apartment they paid for, um, yeah. but. You know, so I don't know if anyone's going to ever want to take a bet on me again in that sense. (laughs) (laughs) They were throwing, they were throwing a lot of money at bloggers at the time. And, and, you know, some of them made some of the books sold and some of them didn't. But I don't think that uh, having an online following that you build up over time necessarily translates into a
0: book appearing in month, you know. 'Cause I always think in the back of my mind there was kind of the three of you that had broadly similar stories back in the day when blogging was kind of, you know, the the thing. And there was you, there was Brooke who wrote um Belle du jour, and yeah. there was Heather Armstrong in the US who was Deuce.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, the three of you all stopped after the you know, the book and everything.
1: Did she I thought I th- she Heather carried Armstrong on quite- carried
0: on but she stopped writing about life?
1: Yeah, I mean, she she started writing a lot about um postnatal depression and stuff like that for a while, and yeah. then it got into sort of just decorating her home, and then I stopped following it, yeah. I think, at that point. it was
0: quite interesting that she, at the height of it all, she turned the comments off.
1: Which, Did she? It
0: suddenly became just a marketing platform.
1: Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I followed her a bit, obviously, because I remember when I got fired, I called it being deuced, because that was the verb that you used, because she was the first blogger to get fired for blogging. Yeah. back in the day um, but I followed people like um, girl with a one-track mind as well she yep. did very well I mean um, basically because sex does does sell doesn't it
0: um yes I'd forgotten that one <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it was uh, it wasn't one of my favorites but the content obviously was uh, yeah was was very was very marketable
0: yeah I, and I, then
1: I followed a guy called, a guy from Norfolk I don't know if you remember his job his his bug um Johnny Johnny B johnny i don't know how you, is it Billericki? i don't know how you pronounce it rings it um, a bell yeah a guy called alex from norfolk and i used to, and he did a he did a book called sex um um bowls and rock and roll which was very funny <laughs> <laughs> not really not really sort of related to his uh his blogging personality exactly but it was yeah i know quite a lot of people who ended up writing books it's interesting yeah. Um, do you remember andre from a beautiful revolution who did a sort of a cartoon book yes and i, and I think he organized a blog meet where you did you come to that in no the end no the first I one i'd ever went to, to was that.
0: last year did you yeah
1: yeah i found i found an email where i invited you to that oh my word <laughs> and, I I think, and you said you weren't sure you were going to be able to make it and oh, yeah that
0: may have been when i was working in london yeah yeah my life guide got, got trampled by work for a couple of years <laughs>
1: But, I mean, I, I met so many interesting people um, who went on to do great things. I mean, uh, there was a, a girl called Lucy Pepper, who was a yes. Brit living in Portugal, who did this thing called Vitriolica, where she, she just did these really good sort of um, cartoons of Portuguese people, you know, these really great drawings. And now she's doing all sorts. She's working in all sorts of media platforms and television and, and doing all sorts of stuff in in, uh, in Lisbon. And uh, a girl a girl, call, a girl who wrote a, um, a blog about being a stripper in New York, it's called Mimi in New York. She came to stay with me once in Paris when she was passing through. <laughs> <laughs> and is now a, sc- a screenwriter in LA or something like that. I was um, just
0: thinking back. I think possibly what could have happened when I missed the meetup, we could have been right in the middle of the adoption process. It's possible. And while we were in the middle of it, we had to keep quiet about all of it so i couldn't mm. tell anybody anything which was horrible <clears throat> but it, yeah it crosses right into that thing you were saying about there's parts of your life that aren't in the blog mm. but yeah it's probably yeah, i mean do we mention yeah. that, that that we kind of um that's why we became friends in a strange sort of way
1: we had yeah, we had some exchanges about adoption because I'd written a kind of a three part blog post about my own experience of being of finding out I was adopted and tracing my birth parents and you'd written to me and said you were in the process of um, adopting, of, yeah. of adopting and, and and you asked me a few questions about you my sent perspective me a book. on it. <laughs> that? Oh right, yes, that's right. I you did You sent me a novel, yeah. Yes, yes, I found the email where I was asking for your address to send it yep. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I had no memory of that until I saw the email. It's funny, isn't it? My memory awful. <laughs> but um yeah I mean the the adoption posts were one of those things where when 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 it all became public and I knew that my birth family were going to see the blog um I had to think carefully about whether or not I should censor those and take them down whether I'd or had written anything that could be hurtful uh, it was yeah
0: so uh, do, do you know how old you were when you were adopted then uh
1: I was adopted at birth I was
0: oh okay so uh, yeah. your birth family would they knew then of you as you grew up
1: um they didn't and, um i went i went back and found them when i was
0: about oh third. okay Uh, so that so that's why they would have been able to i'm just trying to figure out why they would have crossed the you know dotted the i's and crossed the t's and figured out who you were
1: it's because we'd made contact and and i'd had a sort of something of a relationship with them you know we'd met and we'd exchanged stories and and we were having an ongoing relationship but not a really close one and it was perhaps you know um slowly becoming less and less close and and I think I wrote about, you know, the fact that I'd never be able to remember their birthdays or, yeah. um, and I didn't feel the same sort of sense of obligation to go and see them as often as my other, you know, adoptive parents, but who I considered to be my proper parents. Yeah. Um, And, you know, some of those things, I suppose, could have come across as hurtful, you know
0: it's interesting isn't it because if you Mm. have the anonymity with a blog you can empty your head of all the things that you might talk about that you wouldn't share with your direct family but you might with your friends
1: yeah absolutely um i would have said all of those things just about anybody except the people concerned you know except um I'm, i'm one of these people that's quite you know quite open really um
0: it's difficult, isn't it? Because then if you if you don't have anonymity with a blog, because mine's never been anonymous, but it means mm. I have to filter almost everything. Yeah. <laughs> the trouble is with that, it just becomes this echo chamber of my own crazy thoughts.
1: <laughs> I mean, I had a filter in that my parents knew about it. So there were certain subjects I wouldn't go, you know, yeah. I wasn't writing about sex and I wasn't swearing. And, and actually, I'd really like to do that now because it'd be quite liberating not to have my parents over my shoulder, you know
0: yeah i guess the well, world like has changed as well so a lot of subjects that were taboo a few years back aren't anymore
1: yeah but
0: yeah yeah it's interesting
1: absolutely. Yeah. anyway
0: thank you very much for coming on the podcast
1: that was very fun i <laughs> <laughs> will
0: have to get you if you do reappear with a blog although we might not know it's you we'll have to have you back <laughs> I'd have to figure it out first, though, and you'd have to admit it's
1: you as well. Yeah, it sounds a bit complicated, but we'll see. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, thank you again.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: You have been listening to Jonathan Beckett's podcast. If you liked what you've been listening to, the podcast lives at anchor.fm/slash John Beckett. You can also find it at Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Facebook. Just search for Jonathan Beckett's podcast. If you would like to be on the podcast, contact information is at jonbeckett.com/contact.